All right, now we're ready. I made somebody laugh. That's good. It's a good morning. Here we go. Thank you. You're scaring the kiddos, though. Last week, if you weren't here, I said Happy Easter, and the room was filled, and literally not one person said it back. I was like, I almost left. It just went. Have a good day. So, uh, yeah, I want to I preface this series with a few things. If you don't know, today we're starting a new series called Questions. Several weeks ago, I asked you to write down questions uh, that you have about faith, about God, about uh, our, the way that Christians are supposed to interact, in the world, anything, basically. Um, and we had hundreds of questions submitted. Uh, some of y'all filled in every line on the note card and on the back. Uh, so I'm super happy. I want you to be comfortable coming in here with questions that you have. I think that's important that we can come in here and be open and honest with where we're at uh, and know that ev- we're going to base everything on Scripture. Every, every question, every thought, we're going to base on Scripture. That's the, that's the source for all of our truth, and it's the source for all of our wisdom. Uh, so I want to thank you for submitting questions. Uh, I do want to say, because of how many questions were submitted, we will not get to all of them. We're not going to do a all right, well, this is the 202nd week of our series. No, we're not doing that. So we're doing four. We're doing the top four that were asked. Um, and if, if in these four I don't cover the ones that you asked or don't even cover one of the ones that you asked, I would love at some point to sit down with you and have a conversation. Uh, I want you to know that, that I'm a, I can be trustworthy. I'm not going to sit and say, uh, did you hear what she asked? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to turn to Scripture and just see what God has to say about things. But I want you to know that I would love for you to come and talk to me if you have questions that I don't get to answer. Um, I also want to stress that in this series, because it's questions that we all ask, uh, they're going to be kind of big questions, and some of them are going to be uncomfortable. Today will be uncomfortable. I'm going to go ahead and warn you, it'll probably be the most uncomfortable you've ever been in church. (laughs) So here we go. We're voting next week. Remember... But, um, again, we're going to turn to Scripture in everything. We're just going to look at what the Word of God has to say. Uh, So, it might be uncomfortable, it might be awkward, but we're going to base everything on on the Word of God, and if we have more questions after that, we can have a follow-up conversation or whatever. Um, And, and honestly, this should be our response to everything. Every question that we have, every thought, every situation, our first response should be to the Word of God. Often, I think that we, like turn to other things. You know, we, we call somebody or we text family or we look at, you know, what, what do people have to say about this? Our first response should be, what does God have to say about this? Because he knows. He knows the truth. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Uh, as I said, today's topic is going to be kind of heavy. Uh, it's going to be kind of uncomfortable. So I want you to bear with me on this. Um, this question and this topic, out of all the questions, it was three to one For every three questions, one of the questions was about this. Okay, so it's obviously a question that's that's being stirred up, and it's a question that we want to talk about. Um, If, yeah, if your kiddos are younger, uh, we have a a nursery down there that is just ready to love on them. Okay, so that's your call as a parent. That's your call if you want to keep your kids in here or not. But I want to tell you that, as I said, this, this is going to be a little bit heavy. Um, so there's no, 
Yeah, I just want to, we're just going to be all on the same page before we get started, okay? I can't, I'm going to stress this. Um, and I also want to encourage you to refrain from judgment until the very end. Um, we are, I, at, probably at some point in this service, I'm going to offend somebody. Probably at some point, I'm going to offend everybody. <laughs> but we're just going to, like I said, we're just going to look at Scripture. The Word of God, I'll tell you this, and you'll probably have already learned this, the Word of God, living by what God says in here, is going to be offensive. It's going to be offensive to people. It's going to be countercultural. okay? So when we actually are following and living by what Scripture says, it's going to make people and situations uncomfortable. Jesus made people and situations uncomfortable. But we're just going to look at the truth of what it has to say. So, got all my little forewarnings out. Uh, as I had expected, most of, most of the questions revolved around five or six different topics. Uh, like I said, we're covering four of those. But three to one, they were about this one topic. And I'm going to say it, and the tension is going to get thick in here. You're going to be able to cut it with a knife. Three to one, the questions were about homosexuality in the church. I think that this has been stirred up recently uh, by what's happened within the United Methodist Church. Um, I think that if you've been following what's happening, uh, they had a convention a couple of weeks ago, and, and basically the church is, is nearing a split um, because of some of these issues. Um, because of how often this is talked about in the news, because of how often this is talked about in our world, uh, this is important that we know what we're getting into. And it's important that the church is unified on this issue, that we're not divided, but that we are unified in what Scripture has to say about it. So that's what we're going to do. That's what we're talking about today. Not all of the questions were the exact same, um, but a lot of them had to do with this, and they were just phrased differently, worded differently. Some were from elementary age kids. Some were from, from adults based on handwriting. Could have been elementary age kid too, I don't know. <laughs> really mature handwriting. <laughs> but there was a lot of questions about this. There's a lot of stuff being stirred up, and so we're going to talk about it. I want to take a deep breath. We're going to be okay. We're going to get out of here on time. And I really believe that the Lord's going to speak. I believe that the Lord has something in this message and in every message in this series for somebody. If I didn't think that this would be valuable for every single person in the room, we wouldn't do it. We would just find a different question. So I really do think this is important that we talk about. We're going to be in two passages of Scripture. Actually, we're going to be in a lot, but I'm going to only make you turn to two passages. John chapter 1 and Romans chapter 1. Um, and we're going to go ahead and jump just straight in. John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14 says this. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The Word became flesh. We're not talking about the Bible. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then skip to verse 16. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Most translations say we have received grace upon grace. We have received grace upon grace. I believe often in our lives and in our faith, we kind of portray truth and grace to be some kind of spectrum. So if I'm on this end of the spectrum, I'm full of truth, no grace. And if I'm on this end of the spectrum, I'm full of grace, no truth. It's like this spectrum that we have to be in specifically regarding sin but just regarding faith, it's a spectrum. And this verse says, no. <laughs> it says, Jesus lived full of grace and full of truth. 
100% grace all the time and 100% truth all the time. If we as the church, so Christian, the word Christian literally means little Christ. If we as little Christ, as imitators of Christ, want to become more like him, our lives have to reflect a life of grace and truth. 100% grace and 100% truth. It's not 50-50. It's not half the time I'm going to lean towards the truth and half I'm going to lean towards grace. 100% grace, 100% truth. This is what Jesus was. And it also talks about grace upon grace. We need to remember that verse because we're going to come back to it here in a little bit. As followers of Christ, this is the way that we must, we must live. Full of grace, full of truth. And far too often, even in my own life, I will confess, it's more of a spectrum. It's more of me deciding, well, today I'm going to be a little bit more gracious. And today I'm going to live a little bit more in truth and less in grace. And this is a very dangerous way to live. If we lean too much towards truth, then what we become is angry and mean and self-righteous. And we don't know the father because the father was full of grace. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The resemblance between, between God and us? And God wasn't just sitting cross-armed mad at the son when he's running up. No, the father chased after the son because of grace. And that is who Jesus is. And that is who we're supposed to be. So we can't lean too much towards truth if it's this spectrum. And we can't lean too much towards grace because the truth is what sets us free. And so without knowing the truth, you can't be free. So we have to live 100% in truth and 100% in grace. And so we must be willing to approach everything, every scenario, every question, every thought, every person with both grace and truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. Our reality is that right now, LGBTQ issues are dividing our nation, and they're dividing the church. The church, capital C, not specifically this building, Christians. We're being divided on this issue. And that is why it is so pertinent that we talk about this today. We need to know what God has to say about this so that we can all be on the same page. We can be unified Scripture, here's, you know, we've talked about the gospel is all-encompassing. It's about our whole life. It's not just about getting into heaven. The gospel should infect and affect every part of our lives. And so that's why we're going to talk about some of the hard stuff. We're going to start, this sermon has kind of three different parts. Uh, two questions and then another, another part. We're going to start with one question, which the rest of the sermon is going to be based on. What does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? Is it a sin or is it not? That's where we're going to start. And believe it or not, the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about this. A whole lot. We're not going to get to all of it. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to give you the, the references, and you can go home and look them up later, um, because we're not going to take all that time. We would be here literally until next week. So the first one I'm going to talk, turn to is Genesis 2.25. If you want to write that down, Genesis 2.25. And it says this, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The phrase, were naked, directly translates to engaged in marital intimacy. You're already super uncomfortable. Show of hands, uncomfortable? <laughs> yes. Engaged in marital intimacy and they felt no shame. 
Okay, so God created sex. God created intimacy for a reason. He created it to be a blessing to unify a man and his wife in the covenant of marriage. God created that to be a unifying device in the covenant of marriage between a man and his wife. I want us to think about the Bible as kind of a sandbox. Okay, so, so Scripture lays out a way to live. It, if, if you want to read through like the Old Testament, it literally talks about everything you could possibly imagine in your life. It talks about how to farm. Scripture talks about, talks about where you're supposed to go to the bathroom. You ever heard a sermon done on that? <laughs> That's weird. It literally lays out principles of how to live. And so what I kind of picture is that's the sandbox. Inside the sandbox are things that are good and healthy and for you. They are beneficial for you. That's living inside the sandbox. To step outside of the sandbox is anything that is against what the Bible says, anything that is against what God lays out, and therefore is not good for you and is not healthy, and it is sinful. Anything outside of God's purpose and intention for sex is sinful and it's destructive. It is destructive for you. We're going to look at some biblical evidence. As I said, you don't have to turn to these places. You can later if you want, but I'm going to give you the references. And again, we're going to look at some Old Testament scriptures. Last week, I mentioned this a little bit, but Jesus came not to replace the law, but to fulfill the law. That doesn't take it away. Just because Jesus came doesn't mean you can murder people. The Old Testament is split up into three parts, and this part is about moral law. It's about right and wrong. That didn't change. That didn't change when Jesus came. Okay, so we still have to follow these things because it's good and because it's for us. It is for our benefit to do this. Matthew 15, 19 through 20. Matthew 15, 19 through 20 says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean. Uh, the word used for sexual immorality here is the word porneia. Does that sound, sound familiar? Porneia was an all-encompassing word that meant anything outside that sandbox. Anything outside of God's intended design and purpose for sex was porneia. So, if you were not a man and your wife in the covenant of marriage, you are living in porneia. Does that make sense? And that's what he's talking about here. That is including living in homosexuality. That is including living in homosexuality. There's more evidence in Genesis chapter 19. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And Sodom and Gomorrah, the entire city, was ravaged by porneia. It specifies that it talks about homosexuality. It specifies that it talks about violence and rape, okay? Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of porneia and because God realized this is outside of the sandbox. It's hurtful to you. It is hurtful to you, and it's not for you. Leviticus 18, this... Literally, it cannot get much more clear than this in Scripture. Leviticus 18, verse 22. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Let me tell you what. The book of Leviticus, you want some uncomfortable Bible studies, you do one on Leviticus chapter 18. The title is Unlawful Sexual Relations. 
So that would be really fun. He lays it out, plain and clear. This is outside of the design. This is outside of what is good for you and what is beneficial for you and for your life. And the last one we're going to turn to is Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. It says they traded the truth of God for a lie. They traded the truth of God for a lie. That has to be a brutal realization. Trading the truth of God for a lie. And what happens is you see men and women engaging in homosexual relations. It is evident in Scripture that living in homosexuality is living outside of God's intended design and therefore is sinful and destructive. It is not for you. It is not for your good. The next question we're going to look at, the next part of this sermon is, was I born gay? Can people be born homosexual? Usually, depending on, on the political aisle, we're split on this. Usually. We don't have to just be split by the political aisle because we have all truth right here. And so we can open it up and see what God has to say about things. In the grand scheme of things, this question doesn't super affect the reality of what we just talked about. But it's important that we know so that we can all be unified moving forward. It's important that we know for the rest of the, of the teaching. I actually want to start with a response question. So studies show that puberty is hitting kiddos earlier and earlier. In the late 1900s, puberty was hitting at 13, 14, 15 years old. Now, 5, 6, and 7 years old. 5, 6, and 7 years old. At 5, 6, and 7 years old, kiddos are having thoughts and feelings run through their mind that they shouldn't be feeling. So my question is, are they born that way? Are we born by nature to sin? I believe, based on Scripture, yes. Psalm 51, verse 5, says this. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is a man writing who is called a man after God's own heart, and he says, when I was born, I was a sinner, automatically. When I was born, I was a sinner. This shows we're clearly born into sin. If you're a parent or you've ever been around a kid, you know they're born into sin. You know this. Here's how. No parent is looking at their kid saying, hey, listen, you need to never share with anybody. If someone comes up and wants to share your toys, you need to pop them in the face and tell them to get out. Do not ever share your toys. But what happens? The first thing they learn, that's mine. Don't you dare touch that. It's usually like the first thing. They'll say, Daddy, Mommy, they say, it's mine. That's mine. We don't teach kids that. You don't teach kids to bully other kids. 
but it happens. We don't teach, well, sometimes, sometimes we teach that. Most of the time, you're not going to sit and teach your kids. You need to be really mean. You need to be really mean all the time. When people are mean to you, you be mean right back. You cuss at them, you punch them in the face. We don't teach kids this, but they learn. Because inherently, when we are born, we're born into sin. But just because we're born into sin doesn't mean we all struggle with the same sin. There are men on this earth, there are men in my life, good men that I know, that have never once struggled with pornography. But odds are, most men in this room have. We're all born into sin, but we don't all struggle with the same sin. What that means for us is, I believe, yes, you can be born having thoughts and feelings you shouldn't have. Because we're born in sin. Same way a kid is born and is automatically selfish. And a kid is born and is automatically have some bullying tactics inside of him. We can be born in sin. Before we move to the last part, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. We can come to the realization that through Scripture, living outside of God's intended design for sex is sin. We can come to the realization that because of what David writes in Psalms, and there's more verses like it, we can be born directly into sin. We can be born directly and have thoughts and feelings that we shouldn't. And we all do. We all do have that. We all at one point were selfish. We all at one point were mean. And our parents didn't teach us that. It just happened. Any sexuality between one man and one woman in marriage is the only right way. Anything outside of that is sinful and is detestable to God. But there is another issue at hand here that I believe is as big, if not bigger, than the issue of homosexuality. As we mentioned before, our job in the church as little Christs is to walk in 100% grace and 100% truth all the time. That is the way that Jesus lived and that is the way that we are supposed to live. Often regarding this issue... The church does not respond that way. The church, capital C, big, big picture, Christians, we do not live full of grace and full of truth in this issue. Um, one of the questions, whew, one of the questions that came in several times when we were doing this series, a couple were by elementary school kids, and it was, I've heard that God hates gays. Is that true? There were some adults in the room that wrote, I heard God hates gays. Is that true? And that should break our hearts that this is being said. Uh, There is a man named Caleb Kaltenbach who is a pastor at a church in Dallas. Um... He was born into a, a, a normal family, what we would call just the traditional family, until his parents got divorced and both of them came out as homosexual. His dad moved in with another man and they moved to, to California or something, and his mom moved in with another woman and he, he moved with them. And as a young kid at five and six years old, he was taken to all these different events. He was taken to parties, he was taken to camping trips. It was nothing like wild and crazy. It was just, it was a hangout. 
but one time they took him to a, a gay pride parade. And he, as a five-year-old, is not thinking twice about this. He's just walking in this parade with his mom and, and her partner. And they get to the end, and there is people holding up signs that say, Jesus has no room for you, that say, God hates the gays. And they had filled cans of urine and were spraying it on them. This man is just a little bit older than me, which means this is not like an 1800s thing. This happened in the 21st century. And he looked at his mom and he said, Mom, who are those people? And she said, those are the Christians, and they hate gays. Those are the Christians, and they hate gays. My heart, when I was watching his video, I was weeping, weeping thinking about this. The question I have is, if Jesus was living and walking right now on this earth, who would he be harder on? The people involved in a gay pride parade or the people spraying urine on them? Who would he be harder on? In the Bible, you actually see that, that Jesus calls sinners, he calls the sexually immoral to himself. He lives in 100% truth. He never compromises what is truth. But he lives in a grace that offended the church. He offended the church because he was in 100% grace. And in fact, in Scripture, what you see is the time Jesus is most angry. He's angry at the church because they didn't display grace. That's when Jesus is most angry. The Bible says that, that we received grace upon grace. We talked about this in John 1, grace upon grace. And who are we as the church to receive this grace, be saved by grace, but not spread it? Who are we? I want to I take just a quick minute and say this. If there's anybody in this room, if there's anybody watching online, uh, if there is a family member or a friend, um, and, and anybody that you know that's involved in the LGBT community, I want to take a second and I want to stand in the gap and I want to say I'm sorry because we have not loved you. Not necessarily First Christian Church, not this building, Christians as a whole. We have shunned you and we have sinned against you and it's not right. It is sinful. And I am sorry. I am sorry for things that have happened to you because of, because of sin of the church. I'm sorry for not living in the grace that we've received. And I want you to know, Jesus has a place for you. His grace did not run out before it got to your name. He didn't die and hang on the cross just for me. It was for every single person who believes. The Bible shows us that unwillingness to show grace is, is a sin, and it's just as sinful, but it says it's more grievous to the heart of the Father. The Father's heart breaks more when Christians don't walk and live in grace. It breaks more. We are sadly mistaken if we think that homosexuality is worse than another sin, worse than and we have a deep misunderstanding of who Jesus is if we think that grace is not for everybody. We have a deep, deep misunderstanding. Jesus does not hate gays. 
He does not. He loves them. He loves me in all of my sin. And you know what? He doesn't even see me that way. He sees the righteousness that He placed in me. He doesn't see me and think, oh, there's Landon. You know, when he was six, he was living in just this crazy selfishness. When he was 15, he was crazy addicted to everything. No, he doesn't see that. He says, that is my son, and I love him. And for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that is what he sees. That is my son, that is my daughter, and I love them. All sin separates from the presence of God. Every sin. Every sin. Pornography, sex outside of marriage, lust, drunkenness. It's not less than. It all separates us from God. Regardless of the sin, Jesus still loves and still died for the sinner. He loves and died for the sinner. Everyone is welcome in this building. We may not agree on everything. We probably won't agree on everything. But let me tell you what. We don't have to agree on everything to come in the presence of God and serve Him. Let me tell you this. We've talked about sanctification. Sanctification is me. I'm right here. I've accepted Jesus. My soul is saved. Jesus, looking like Jesus, is over there. And every day, I'm taking steps towards it. Every day, I'm being sanctified. My mind is being washed. My, my, my body is being washed. I'm becoming to look more like Jesus every day. That's sanctification. And we are all in the process. No one's there. Every day, we are taking steps to look more like Jesus. And this needs to be a safe place where we can come and do that together. We can come and take steps together. We can be sanctified together. We have to, as the church, walk in freedom-bringing truth and compassionate-filled grace every day. Freedom-bringing truth and compassionate-filled grace. We can never compromise what is true. We can't settle for less than what the Bible lays out as truth. But we also can never compromise grace. That is the antithesis to the gospel. That is the antithesis to who Jesus is. Cultural rhetoric, friends, family, policies, nothing can determine the attitude and spirit of your heart except for the Word of God. Everything has to be based on that. That has to be our standard for living. And if there are areas in our hearts that we're not actively trying to look more like Him, we're not actively trying to take steps, we need to repent. We need to repent and ask that the Lord make us more like Him. Nobody is too far gone. No sin is too bad. He hung on that cross for every single person. Let's pray. Lord, we do love you so much. And we're so thankful for the ways that you love us. God, I thank you that we can come in here and that this is a safe place for us to be open and honest about our questions and our thoughts. And Lord, I just pray today, 
I pray today that we would become more like you. We would look more like you. In areas that we've sinned, I pray that you would heal our hearts. I pray that you would make us look more like you, God. We choose today to turn around and walk the other way. May we be focused on living lives full of grace and full of truth. In Jesus' name, amen.